Okay. Wow. Man, that was so good. Um, God is so real. God is so here. And I'm just excited to, to press into that more, honestly. Um, I was just reflecting a little bit before tonight and during worship. And I just was reminded of how awesome like growth is. And truly, honestly, how, how awesome it is. Like, I mean, it's fun to like grow in new skills, like learn new things, um, grow, grow even in a friendship with one another. But I want to know there's like nothing compares to growing in a relationship with God. And to, I just want us to, to truly see him rightly tonight, um, to value our relationship with him as we should. And honestly, it's like the one thing I can, I can grow in and I know it's going to last for forever. Like it's eternal. It's, that's where I want to, I want to invest. Like I want to take the time that I've been given on this earth and invest in the things that are going to matter hundreds of years from now. Like we're, we're going to be alive. We're going to be with the Lord. And in that day, you know, I want to, I want to reflect on the life that he gave me on this earth. And I want to realize, man, I, I put it where I should have. I invested in him. I invested in people. That, as far as I know, that's all that's going with us. And so I'm just excited. Tonight I'm expecting that we're going to grow in our relationship with God. So let's just pray. Jesus, we love you so much, God. We honor your presence. And I'm desperate for your presence, God. We just we come together collectively and say that without your presence... This is truly a waste of time, God. We, there's a lot of other things that we could be doing tonight, Jesus, but we're after your presence, Lord, because we're desperate for it, God. We need it, Jesus. So, Father, we humble ourselves together. We ask for your presence to come, Jesus, hinging upon the confidence of knowing, God, that you are ready to pour yourself out. You're ready to meet us, God. Jesus, you, you want to be closer. You want to be close to us more than we want to be close to you. God, you're ready. You're ready for more, Jesus. And so we love you, God. We press into that tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and tangibly encounter us in this room. Father, I, I, I refuse to lower my faith any less than that, to believe that every single one of us could walk away knowing you more, more in love with you, having an encounter and engaging with the living God. That's what we're after today, because you're alive, because your heart is beating, because you're breathing, that you are alive. Jesus, we love you so much. In your name, amen. Let's go. Okay, tonight, just going to reflect a little bit and unpack um, on the humility of God yeah. and what it really means to, to carry um, the humility of Jesus. And I believe that this is such a central um, message to our faith. I believe that without humility, um, the backbone of our faith completely crumbles and we're not left with much if we remove humility from the equation. And so I really, my goal tonight is that we would see the humility of God, that we would see him in fresh beauty and fresh awe and fresh wonder, and we'd be amazed at him and that it would, it would truly change the trajectory of our life. It would raise the bar for what it means to truly walk as, as humble friends before God. So that's my goal tonight, that we'd reflect on him, um, that we'd understand that there's a, there's a depth of humility that we're called to as his followers. Um, and that it's actually possible, like that he's gifted us his Holy Spirit so that we're able to set our selfish living aside and say yes to the way that he lived. Say yes to the things of him. And it's such a gift. So I just want to look at the life of Jesus. I want to dwell on him. And it's just it's honestly such a gift. 
Um, the, Jesus coming down to the earth was a gift for so many reasons. But I think, honestly, one of, the, one of my favorites is just that we get a clear picture of who God is. Yeah. We see time and time again in Scripture, in Colossians 1, says the fullness of God, the fullness of his deity dwelled within Jesus, that the Father was pleased that the fullness of him dwelled inside of him. In John 10, we see Jesus say, the Father and I are one. In John 1.18, it says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Man, it's, it's beautiful. Like, we'll see in a little bit, Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus, being God himself, didn't take that for his own advantage. We'll, we'll dive into that more, but we see time and time again that, that if we want to know who God is, we just have to look at Jesus. And that is such a gift. That's such an amazing thing. Like, think about it. Without him, we'd still be like pointing aimlessly, kind of wondering, who is this God? Who is this one who created us? But we just, we get to look at the life of Jesus. And that's such a gift. And so, man, before we dive into um, just this, this brief study of humility and of who God is, his character, I just want us to be reminded tonight that honestly, like, the, our human understanding in the English language is not adequate enough to completely describe the humility um, in which God walked in on this earth. Um, we, we aren't able to fully understand and comprehend the, the majesty and the vastness of the things of God. Having a language to be able to communicate and, and have unification and understanding what we're talking about is necessary, and it's a gift, but I just want to remind us that the things of God are so much higher, so much deeper. He is so much more beautiful than what can be put into articulation. Wow. And so yeah. just know that this message is going to fall short of, of really his beauty and really the depth of his humility. I'm going to try my best, but I just I want us to like get out of maybe the box that we've like unintentionally maybe even subconsciously placed him in where we've kind of settled in like, okay, that's humility and this is who God is. Like, I want to bust that open tonight and to realize again that he is worth awe. He is worth wonder. He is worth our, our study of him for the rest of our days. Um, I'm, I'm just really, I'm calling us to that, to see him in a new lens tonight. Holy, perfect. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really do think like sometimes we can hear, we hear certain words, right? And we begin to associate specific things with those words and then they, they occur meaning for us. So if, if I say humility, I mean, every single one of us like has maybe examples, people, situations, emotions that come to mind. And I just want to say he's more than that. He's, he's so much more than that. And it's in this place of studying him, reading his word, encountering other people with his same Holy Spirit, um, engaging with him. It's where we get further informed about who he is and where we fall more in love with him. Um, it's cool. My mind was actually like opened up to this idea more. Uh, just I had some boxes broken down last year. Um, we were in a staff meeting and for, for the movement. And it was, it was really cool. Jonah uh, felt like he received just a, a prophetic a tongue um, that he wanted to pray in a tongue over our staff. And just that it was supposed to be interpreted um, by somebody uh, on the staff. And it's cool. I mean, we see in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 14, how speaking in tongues um, it, it's a gift, right? And, and it can be used in a lot of different contexts. But in, in this context, we see like in a Christian context like this, um, a, a tongue can be spoken. And then it's a, it's a, that's a gift. And then also another gift is that uh, we can be edified by somebody's interpretation of what's being said. 
And so Jonah just led us into this moment where he said, man, I really feel like the Holy Spirit's putting in my heart. I'm just going to pray out of tongue, and I would, I would like somebody to interpret. And um, so sure enough, he goes for it. And Audrey, Audrey Warner, shout out Audrey. She's yeah. not here, but we love her. Um, she said immediately that she felt the Lord made it extremely clear um, what Jonah had just prayed over our staff. And what she said just marked me. And it, it seriously it gripped my heart. She said, um, the Lord's making it clear to me that Jonah was crying out for humility, but it was something so much deeper than that. Um, something so much deeper than honestly being able to really even use that word. Like he was, he was praying for something. The best word I've got is humility, but he was crying out for something so much deeper than that. And that, that just blew me away, honestly. And it sharpened me and it reminded me that the God I love, the God I serve, the God I worship, he's so much more than the view of him that I often settle for. Um, he just, he's, he's so much more than that. Um, and, and this really does run deep. Like I want us to see this, that God isn't just loving. God isn't just humble. God is love. God is humility. Like apart from the presence of God, those things don't exist. They find their origin within God. And so he's, he's so much more than even just those things being attributed to him. He is that. He is those things. And so this is our clearest picture of, of these virtues, of humility, of, of love. It's his life, and it's, it's what he's done for us. So, man, don't you love him? <laughs> he's just so beautiful. Um, okay, so what I, what I really want us to see tonight is that humility is truly the foundation of our lives as Christians. When we decide to follow Jesus, we crucify and we put to death the old self-centric way of living in favor of rightly claiming Jesus as Lord, getting off the throne ourselves, saying, no, I'm not God. There is one God. He is Lord. And then making we, we make him a priority and we make others a priority above ourselves. That's, that's a basis of what takes place when I decide to make Jesus Lord of my life and when I decide to follow him and saying no to myself, no to those selfish um, ways that I'm prone to and yes to his ways and so it's absolutely essential to the Christian life the absence of humility is the absence of Christianity I do believe that and, and there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I think sums this up really well it says in God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself unless you know God as that and therefore you know yourself as nothing in comparison you do not know God at all as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. That's C.S. Lewis. And I, I want to unpack that. I want to just take a, a deep dive into the humility that Jesus exemplified. And it's so true, though. Like, our entire faith, it, it hinges upon our ability to see ourselves rightly and then see God rightly. And that requires humility. That requires a shaming of pride, a shaming of the very thing, right, that, that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Um, the, it stands in opposition to God um, because he, he himself is humility and he is the only one deserving and worthy of our praise and our attention. And so when we operate in pride, we operate in direct opposition to who he is and what we were made for. So as a movement, guys, we like value these spaces where we can reflect on his beauty. That's why we sit on high praise for 45 minutes is because we believe that as we worship him, we catch further gaze at who he is and we begin to see him rightly, see ourselves rightly. We're reminded of the fullness of what he's done um, and then the response that's demanded. 
And as we know, the basis of that response to him is to make him Lord of our lives. Um, we believe seeing him rightly leads to responding to him rightly. Revelation of him leads to living for him. Um, there's a theme. There's a theme throughout scripture of gazing and dwelling and meditating on him. Um, there, there's a realization that each of us must come to terms with. And it's where we stand spiritually without Jesus. That's honestly like that's that's the foundation here. That's the basis here. Matthew 5 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Man. And in Romans 12, it says, uh, to, it calls us, Paul calls us to see ourselves rightly, to not fool ourselves. Don't view yourselves as better, as higher, more, more wise than you are. Like, there's warnings throughout scripture, and, and that's beautiful. Like, the, the poor in spirit, those, that's the ones who, who obtain the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is calling us. We cannot, we cannot accept Jesus. We cannot follow him without first coming to terms with our need for him. We have to, we have to first see that. We have to first be brought to that place. And it's in this place that we call upon the Savior to pull us up and out of separation from the Holy God. But we don't just get to call upon him, take his blessing, and then lose the humility that first led us to his feet. We must not be people who do this. That's not following Jesus. That's fooling ourselves into thinking that we can have the blessings of God without the commitment of covenant with him. We can't lose the desperation and the humility for him. Guys, when we make him Lord, we give up ourselves completely. We give up our rights. This is the essence of humility. In 1 Corinthians 6, I love this passage. This passage has gotten me out of sin. This passage, meditating and dwelling on this passage has totally changed my life. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about how we were bought with a price. Right? It says how our bodies, our lives don't belong to us ourselves so that we should live in a manner that glorifies God. Man, I need to hear this. I need to dwell on this daily. Do we understand how much this reality should affect the way we act, the way we think, the way we prioritize, the way we talk and engage, that we don't belong to ourselves, that we aren't the main character of our own lives, let alone this entire thing? How much more surrender, how much more generosity, how much more servant-hearted, how much more boldness in our faith would we have if we truly grab the reality that everything I am belongs to him, that I do not belong to my own, that this life that I have and, and have here, I don't actually possess. It belongs to him. I, I didn't do enough good things to earn breath in my lungs. I did not make enough right choices to convince God that it would be a good idea to save me. I was not around when the Trinity determined to create mankind in their own image and start the human race. I wasn't around for that. And, and man, if I, if I was, if any of those things were true about me, I could maybe take a little bit of credit. I could maybe say that, you know, there's a case to be made that I could live for myself, but I wasn't. Every single thing that we have, including the breath in our lungs, is a gift from Him. And when we see it like that, we're going to be more in alignment with the life that He's called us to. Man, he's the king. We are not. We don't have enough time to waste convincing people that we're living for Jesus. But really, we're still at the center of control. We're still at the center of our decision-making, what we're going after, what we're prioritizing, what we're chasing after. There's no time for this. And I'm really trying to get us to go deeper in gratitude and have an annihilation of entitlement so that we can become more freed up to live in this this beautiful spot of true surrender before Jesus. Humility is not just another virtue that we're supposed to be working on as Christians. 
It is literally the starting point, and it is the vehicle in which our entire devotion to Jesus is sustained and hinged upon. When we begin to make our lives day in and day out primarily about us, we tamper with the old life that we were saved from. And that is not what we're called to. We're not called to go back there. We're called to continually press forward into the things of him, seeking his refinement, constantly seeking more of his presence, becoming conformed to the image of of Jesus. And so, you know, becoming like Jesus, like I said in the beginning, I believe a huge step to become like Jesus is to reflect on Jesus. And so I, I want us to really read, I want us to reflect on the gospel. When I reflect on the gospel, I reflect on the greatest demonstration of humility that mankind will ever know. Let's just think about this for a minute. Philippians 2 articulates beautifully, I believe, the humility um, that God embodied. It says, adopt the same attitude. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So I was studying this passage a little bit, and I just wanted to share, um, because I believe this truth about the passage points us to just further insight about it, further revelation. So that word existing, uh, that Greek word is, is huparko, I think I said that right, but I'm not fully sure. Um, but it, what it means is, it means it's a original uh, like uh, state. It's original state, unchanging nature of a being. It's continuing essence. Um, it's, it's, it's saying there like, who you are, who you always will be. That's, that's the word that is, is used there, um, existing, Jesus existing in the form of God. And so Christ, Jesus is God, he always will be. He was prior to the incarnation. He was during the incarnation. He was after the ascension. He is today. He's fully and completely God. Um, that's, that's what the Bible teaches us. And so um, I, I believe that's important for us to see here as we continue to go on in this passage. The word exploited um, means like grasped. Um, this word would be would fit in a situation where maybe we're describing someone with like uh, a little bit of like an ins- if there's an insecure relationship like if somebody's in a relationship with another person but there's some insecurity at hand uh, maybe I've probably all been in this position before but we really we try to grasp right we, we try to like really take hold of it um, because we're unsure of it and we're unsure of our standing with it and um, man that's that's just not right that's not what Jesus decided to do with the fact that he was God like he, he did not, he was not controlling in the sense that he thought equality with the father was something that he needed to hold on to desperately out of insecurity. Like, like if he was thinking like, man, I, I'm gone from heaven for 33 years. Like when I get back, you know, what is my spot going to be taken? Like what, what's going to go on? Like I, I came down to the earth. I humbled myself. What's going on up in heaven? That's not what we see here. We see in this passage that he considered equality with God, not something to, to grab onto. Um, in this insecure way. He never felt his essence was threatened. He knew who he was. He was secure in his identity. Um, the, the, the part that says he emptied himself, right? Uh, he, what does that mean? What did he empty himself of? It, it, I believe it means he made himself of no reputation. Jesus did not empty himself of his deity. He did not empty himself of being God. 
We see in other passages, we see in this one that he always has been God, he always will be, that the fullness of God dwelled within him. So he did not empty himself of being God. Rather, he emptied himself of the fullness of his glory. And that is so crazy to me. Like, and we can see this in other passages too. Like in John 17, he cries out and he says, Father, uh, give me back the glory that I once shared with you. Wow. Right? We see that he's, he's like longing for that again, but he, he was willing to set that aside. Um, and I just think that that's so powerful. He emptied himself of his independent and sovereign will to act as God. Uh, man, we, we see him, right? Matthew 26. This is a moment where Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. And uh, Peter, right, he takes out his sword and he starts swinging at the people who are arresting Jesus. And Jesus' response is crazy. He says, at that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand, drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? Right, we see insight. Jesus is saying right here, like, I can snap my fingers and this whole thing could be done. But I'm going to choose, because I love you, I'm going to choose to set aside the fullness of my power, the fullness of my glory in this moment because I love you that much. That's what it means that he emptied himself. It says he took on the form of a servant. Man, death on a cross. Like, this, this gets me. This gets me every single time. I never want to grow numb to to what he's done for us. But I want us to think about this for a second. God came down into the mess that we caused through our rebellion to save us, was hated by us in the process of doing so, and was put on a cross. But he was so filled with humility and love that he allowed himself to be put on a torture mechanism that he knew would take his physical life. He was literally put on the cross by hands that he created. He was the creator. Like we see... In, in John chapter 1, that nothing, nothing was left not created by God. Nothing exists without finding its creation in God. Everything was created through him. So I've got to believe the hands that nailed him to the cross, he was the one who created those. He was the creator and sustainer of the very life, breath, and energy that was being used to pin him to that cross. And yet he never got off. He never snapped his fingers and said, it's done, I've had enough. He stayed on there, set aside. I wish I could understand it more, but he set aside the fullness of his glory. Are we familiar with this humility? Man, I want to spend the rest of my life trying to grab it. Because it's in this place of grasping the humility of God that we see the insanity of the pride of man. We see how foolish it is, how crazy it is to think that I would set myself up and prop myself up and make my life about me when the king and object of heaven set aside himself. Man, it's crazy. Like when I reflect on how the, the king of heaven's eyes are not on himself, that gives me the strength to get my eyes off of myself. Right? Like if there's someone who had a reason to make it all about him, it was Jesus. He had every reason, every right. He's perfect, he's holy, we are not, and yet he didn't. And so, man, it just, it, it, it really convicts my heart and brings me to a spot where it's like, how could I, how could I make my life about myself? We see, the next thing I want to point out is that we see a clear connection with Jesus' confidence in his identity and his humility in which he operated. His actions were very obviously not the actions of someone like we talked about who is insecure and who is trying to grab for position and title. Um, doing things to feel better about himself or prove himself. He wasn't doing that. There's a lesson for us to learn here about humility. 
The invitation to live in relationship with Jesus is an invitation out of the worldly rat race to obtain recognition and notoriety. Because, because what, man, like what worldly applause or title could be given that means more than son or daughter of the king of heaven? Guys, without, without knowing who it is that he has declared us to be, it's extremely difficult to walk humbly. Because if I'm unstable and unsure about what he says, then I want to know what you say. And I really care about what they say. And I, I all of a sudden live consumed by the opinion of man, and I forgot the opinion of God. And man, I, I'm just, it's, I really believe it. it's almost impossible to walk in complete humility in this life if I do not know what he's already said about me. I'm just going to be clawing and grasping for approval and attention. And that's not, then we miss out. We miss out on the life of humility. And I want to be very clear here. I am not promoting self-love um, or even having a good self-esteem. The type of confidence and security of identity that I'm talking about comes with, like we said already, an acknowledgement of my despair without him, but a deep confidence when I'm with him. A confidence of the identity and security that he's given me, not that I find it in of myself. And that's a loud voice, that's a loud thing right now in culture, is this self-love, this this whole message, and it's that's not the gospel. That's not following Jesus. It's coming. Gospel is coming to an end of myself, understanding that I am broken and that I'm in need of a savior. And then it's finding my confidence and security in the one who's unshakable and the one who, right, can can actually speak and, and it really matters. Like, man, that's that's what we're after. So I want to show you another example on top of Philippians two. That reveals the correlation here between knowing who you are and operating in humility. So John 13, if you have your Bibles, you can share in John 13, 3 through 5. I'm just going to read this and we're going to break it down. So it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. There's something extremely significant about this passage in that it gives us insight as to why Jesus got down to serve his disciples in this way. And I think this, this passage is extremely fascinating. Pastor Kyle from Berkeley actually pointed this out to me a little while back. And it says, or the insertion here of the word so says a lot, right? It, it's in other translations. I just read the, the CSB, um, but in the ESB, it says, you know, Jesus, knowing knowing that the Father had given him all things, that he came from him and he's going back to him, got up and, and began to, to serve his disciples. And so it's insinuating that the knowledge, the, um, the knowledge that Jesus had before the so leads us to understand, you know, why he operated in the way that he did after um, the so and so uh, I think it's awesome like we see here in this passage one of the greatest acts of humility that we have on record from Jesus in the Bible is attributed to him knowing who he was yeah. when our identity is secured we become freed up to serve and truly live an outward focused life yeah. and this is humility like he knew he knew the father had given everything into his hands he knew that he came from God that he was going back to God so he was able to take this position as a servant with his disciples. He wasn't insecure about who he was. This foot washing process in ancient times was not a pretty one. 
Um, there was nothing pretty about it. They didn't have the same degree of advanced footwear that we have today. Um, and so their traveling was, their, their feet got really dirty. And this was a process that was often uh, reserved for those of a lower social status, honestly, who would engage in this and who would do this for people. And so we see the, literally the God of the universe um, come down and, and one of the most humble, servant-hearted acts that he could have demonstrated to his disciples in that time, he did. And again, I just think it's so beautiful that it's attributed to the fact that he knew who he was. He didn't have to grasp for position. Man, humility. When we operate out of humility, right, we, we're led into deeper surrender. We're led into deeper servanthood. We're led into deeper generosity. Um, Matthew 10 tells us, freely you've received, so freely you must give. I can't, I can't freely give, though, without first understanding that I needed to receive, that I needed to receive something from God, that I wasn't enough in and of myself. And then, man, we, we will never be able to outgive all that he's gave, right? Like, and it, it spurs me on to see the ways that he's given for me and the ways that then I, I want to give in return. Uh, generosity pops up in our life. I believe boldness in our faith, in our evangelism, um, continues to grow as we operate in humility, as we operate in the fact that, man, I'm secure in my identity. I don't have to live for the approval of man. Um, my life is not about me. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. So I'm freed up to be bolder in my faith. Who cares if somebody rejects me? Like, who cares if if they don't understand and don't respond in the exact way my feelings have a chance of getting a little bit hurt. Like, man, do we understand what he went through? Do we understand the humiliation um, of the cross, of, of literally being pinned on a cross, of uh, out of love for us, out of, he was so secure, he was so humble, he set aside the fullness of who he was for us. And man, I believe there's a lesson for us to learn there when it comes to being bold in our faith and evangelism. I wanted to read uh, Galatians, Galatians 1. And I believe that Paul, um, Paul was, I believe, one of the most humble men that we have record of in Scripture for many reasons. I mean, he could have he could have gone down as probably like one of the best Pharisees of all time. Like, probably could have held on to that. I mean, he was like the elite of the elite. He could have made that his legacy. He could have been known for that. And he threw it all away. And he said, I, I consider all of this rubbish. He consider, I, I consider all of this nothing. And I actually want my legacy and, and what people remember me uh, to be my weakness and his strength. Like that's, that's Paul. And it's beautiful. And so uh, there's something to learn here from Galatians 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and to all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Then he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away. Just listen to this boldness. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
Hey. <laughs> that is crazy and convicting, but it's true and it's so embodied. It's embodied in the life of Jesus. It's evident. He was not trying to to gain a following or gain an approval. Like, in fact, we see that Jesus grew weary of crowds. That when the crowds grew great, he began to you know prompt questions like, "Hey, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head." Like, are you sure? Are you sure you're in for this? Are you sure? Like, he grew he grew weary of crowds, and he, I believe it was because. He, he was not adding to his identity with his performance. Like we see that the father uh, said, uh, this is my son with whom I am well pleased before any of Jesus's public ministry took place. And I believe the timing of that was beautiful because before he went into any of that, he, he knew who he was. Like uh, he, he was secure in his identity. And this is consistent through the life of Jesus, through the life of Paul. We see in Acts 20, Paul says, for I consider my life worth nothing to me unless I use it to complete the work the good Lord's assigned me. Second yeah. uh, Timothy 4, we see Paul again saying that he's pouring himself out like a drink offering on their behalf. Man, there's so many examples. But I believe the early church was marked with each of the things that we just talked about. It's marked with servanthood. It's marked with surrender. It's marked with boldness. Like the, the early church knew these things fully well, and I believe it was because they were so in touch with the fullness of what Jesus had just done for them. I mean, really think about it. They radically served each other. We have, there's proof in, in the scriptures that right nobody around them had any needs, that many of them, in the face of persecution, stood strong for their faith. Like All these things were characteristic of the early church, and I believe they saw this perfect man who loved them flawlessly and then gave his life for them, and they were completely captivated by him. They were fully, they were marked with him, and the humility of Jesus ran through their veins. Like, they considered their life not worth of any value to themselves, but they looked out for the person next to them. They were bold in their faith. And I just want to recover that. I want to recover that as the church. I want to be like that as a movement. Um, man, it's just, it's not about us. It's truly about him. The, one of the final things I want to say just about humility is that it is so much more and so much deeper than just doing or saying the right things. Humility is, is much more than just an outward demeanor. God looks at the heart. And so it, it, this is a heart condition, right? I could give someone a compliment. I could do some, I could do an act of kindness towards somebody, but there could fully be pride in my heart. I, I, could be, I could do that only for the sake of getting something back, getting something in return, getting recognition. And so we see this, this idea of humility. It's so much, it's so much deeper than that. Um, if, if God were not able to look at the heart, then maybe we could classify those things as humility. But, but we know that all things are laid bare before him. That he sees us, he sees our motives, he sees our intentions. And so humility is not just, it's not just something that we can get in the practice of like outwardly. It's, it's something that has to be cultivated with him and reflecting upon him and, and crying out for his strength and the dependence of the Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from. Man, I... Uh, I just kind of want to end here, and then we're going to go back into we're going to go back into worship, and that's how we're going to close tonight. And I just believe that there's not really like there's not really another response that I saw um, really possible after hearing uh, a message like this because it's in the place of worship that I really come to terms with humility that I 
again, see me in light of who I am and God in light of who he is. And that's the place, right, where I lift him high and, and I'm, I take myself off the throne. Um, man, First First Peter 5, this is where I want to land. First Peter 5 says, um, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he, he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. In this passage, I think there's no coincidence here that it's talking about humbling yourself before God, and then it mentions the fact that there's an enemy out there who wants to steal and kill and destroy your life. And one of the greatest ways the enemy wants to destroy your life is to get you comfortable with pride, to, to let it slip under the radar, to get it to where you're not going to notice it anymore. And really, you're thinking that you're living this life out for Jesus, but really, it's it, bottom line, it's about yourself. And man, that's the enemy wants to get us in that boat. And But that's the very thing, like I reflected on earlier, that got him kicked out of heaven. Like, but that's the thing that God stands in opposition to. We can't fall prone to the trap of the enemy to make our lives about ourselves. It's truly, it, it truly is all about him. And the world right now is all about an elevation of self. It's all about looking out for your interests, trying to climb this ladder and, and, and be seen by the rest of the world. And so because we know that, one of the most countercultural ways that we can live as Jesus people is to walk in humility. It's to truly make our lives about him and other people and to set aside this idea that I have to grasp and cling for recognition in this life. Man, we need him, guys. We need him. Just because we are a missions movement does not automatically correlate to being filled with humility. Like we said earlier, the greatest actions and speech can be done with a prideful heart. And man, let him truly cultivate something special. Like these messages, they're, they're, they're from the heart and, and they really speak to who we want to be as a people, who we want to be as a movement. And guys, we cannot leave humility behind in this journey with us. It has to be about him. We have to look at him. And I promise it's going to lead to more surrender. It's going to lead to new capacity to love. It's going to lead to new levels that we didn't think were possible of boldness in our faith. It's going to lead to these things, but it's got to be about him. I just want to pray. Jesus. Oh. God, thanks for being our example. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being a God who does not just call us to things and then watch, watch from heaven and, and not uh, put forth any effort. God, you, you went first, Jesus. You're not calling us to any kind of life that you, your first, did not exemplify, Jesus. Man, and that makes me fall in love with you because you're credible. God, I see that you actually live this out. You live this out to a degree that not any of us can even understand and not any of us can ever walk in. God, you went first and yours meant the most because you gave up the most. But Jesus, we look at you, God, and you are our bar. You are our standard. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and just show us, Father. Show us the areas of our heart that have yet to bow to you. Show us the areas, God, of our lives, Jesus, and our attitude that is still more about us, God, than you, more about us than other people. Jesus, I just pray that your sweet conviction would come. Father, and I pray that as, as we worship you, you would meet us and show us, God, that you would sharpen us and refine us. God, as we pour out our worship and praise to you, I pray that you would do something special in our hearts, God. Man, we call upon you. We love you. Yeah, guys, so just 
just respond in worship. Just tell him who he is. We're a family. If you need prayer, man, come up to any of us. Come up to anyone in this room. Just receive prayer. Confess. Confess things to one another. Be healed. Um, but let's just engage with God during this time.